and welcome to Rashly Writing. I'm Dave Starald. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 51, Character Flaws. So, the thing that most people look for these days, for heroes and protagonists, seems to be character flaws. I don't know if that's accurate, but my impression is that that just seems to be the case. What about you? Like, is that something that you feel is true? I don't know. I think it's very easy to make a, a character who is not flawed at all mm-hmm. and will come across usually as flat in in a lot of ways, uh, like, uh, lacking dimension because they just are capable of doing the right thing every time or at least sticking to their convictions. Um, I think you can make compelling characters without flaws. It just takes a different approach that you have to be willing to go for. Mm-hmm. Like there, I mean, one of the, one of the key reasons that you would use a character flaw is so you can have a little character arc where that flaw gets addressed and and fixed and someone grows and changes right that's part of the reason of including that flaw is so that that flaw can be overcome mm-hmm. and you have like a, a nice thing at the end where the, the character has changed and you can look back and see how how different they are usually usually that's the kind of story you're doing you'll have some instant at the beginning that shows this flaw in them and then you'll have some instant at the end that shows that they no longer have that flaw mm-hmm. that they've moved on it or, or or whatever that's if you're doing sort of storytelling 101 typewriting and when people will criticize a character as not having flaws usually what they mean is that there's no arc to the story it's sort of just about it's, it's not about like hard decisions it's not about overcoming flaw or, or anything like that it's just the the person is the same at the beginning as they are at the end and the world is the same at the beginning and the end and we don't really care that much about the story it's like the story happened and then the end result was just everything returned exactly to the status quo which just tends to not be what people like mm-hmm. in their stories so yeah I, I do think that people will point out people will point out when there is a lack of flaws in a character, but usually I think what they're talking about is they're talking about deficiencies in storytelling in general. Like the criticism of people as Mary Sue's, mm-hmm. right? Usually it's about that. Um, I would say it's usually about those those problems in the storytelling rather than that people actually care that much that a character does not have a flaw. Because you can have a sort of flat arc mm-hmm. for a character where they are... The way you, you will usually structure it is that... Uh, a person is going to stay the same through the entire length of the work mm-hmm. and they're not going to change at all. And the way you structure it is that they are facing adversity along the way and they are changing other people around them through the strength of their convictions. Right. So this is the, the Superman kind of character or, the, or even the Batman kind of character. They, they tend to be framed as really opposite, but they're both in a sense like immovable objects in that in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Any any flaws that they might have are not generally treated as flaws by the story. Right. And a lot of... I, I guess it's kind of common with superheroes, but a, a lot of it, it will... Um, a lot of time it'll be idealists mm-hmm. of some stripe or another, right? Like if your character is pacifist and his pacifism is tested, he sort of like has to grapple with that, and he decides in the end that, yes, he is a pacifist. And he is the same as the, at the beginning as he is at the end, mm-hmm. and he's maybe, like, strengthened a little in his convictions, or he's changed the world around him by making an example of, I don't know, his pacifism or, or whatever. Yeah, so basically what we're talking about is that character flaws are, in essence, a way to, just another way to generate conflict in a story. You have external conflicts, which tend to come from outside sources, and you also have internal conflicts, and the internal conflicts tend to be because of character flaw, whether 
it's because of one character's flaw, or two characters, like the flaw in their interactions with each other, like caused by one of them, or something like that. And there's usually an expectation that, you know, if a character is flawed, that there's going to be some exploration of that flaw. And if you don't do that, that's it's not necessarily a bad thing, because like you said, there can be flat characters that, you know, they're, the point of the story is not seeing them overcome their flaw. But there's a kind of like a catharsis or a satisfaction that comes from seeing a character start the story with a flaw and then end it resolved or changed in some way. And right. that's kind of the main thing that people are are looking to looking for when they complain that I think the character is like too flawless or or sorry is so okay so the two things right one if there's if the characters are Mary Sue you tend to get a lot more complaints if the conflicts in the world around them are not sufficient to challenge them right yeah so you can have characters like Superman who people will complain are are too perfect but a good Superman story still deals with conflicts in the world around them that challenge them despite them not really having any traditional flaws. Right. And if you don't do that, and if you just have a character internally, they have no flaws, and externally there are no real conflicts that challenge them, that's really what a Mary Sue is. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll have to unpack Mary Sue a little bit. Yes. My, my super simplistic idea of a Mary Sue is not just a character without flaws, but a character without flaws in a context that makes them perfect. So, see, okay, so uh, Wildbow, who writes Worm and Ward and Twig and Pact, um, he his definition of a Mary Sue is a narrative black hole from which no character or plot can escape. Yes. Right. As sort of someone who bends characters around them, not just in the way that they have no flaws, but in the way that. Um, you put the Mary Sue next to a smart person and the smart person gets dumber so that the Mary Sue can be perceived as more intelligent. I, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, you, cause you can write characters who are unflawed, but I think it's a difficult thing. I think people throw the word Mary Sue mm-hmm. around a lot for a uh, context in which it is not the case, I guess. Right. This is, this is why for me it's, it's the context and setting that matters a lot because if it's just a character without flaws, then I think it encompasses too many too many characters that don't meet the criteria. Yeah. And I like that definition that Wildbo uses. I think my problem with it is just that it's like a symptom and not the cause kind of thing. Like a symptom right. of a Mary Sue is that they, they, they will bend the story and characters around to keep them the center of the universe. Whereas like from a writing perspective, you're if you want to make sure that you're not on the road to writing a Mary Sue, like those are good things to watch out for. But from a planning phase stage kind of thing, what you're, what you're doing essentially is checking to make sure either A, this character has sufficient flaws, or B, this character is being challenged sufficiently. In my, in my perspective, like that's, that's the, that's the internal checklist I use first. And then if somehow, like there are flaws and the world's challenging them, but they still seem to be the center of the universe and everything's bending towards them, that can still be a Mary Sue. I think I would probably just define that more as like, maybe like an author insert, like which isn't necessarily the same thing. And, you know, or like, uh, I mean, you see that mostly, obviously, in, in fan fiction or, or stories where, like, a character is inserted into another world. Like, that's where the Mary Sue originally, you know, originated. Do we need to go into a history lesson about Mary Sue? I don't know. Anyway, so to, to me, it's a distinct phenomenon. Like, one of them, one of them is about the writer basically making the story all about this one character and making them the most important thing. And the other one is just about the writer not, not recognizing that the story is lacking a real conflict for the protagonist. Yeah. I generally consider 
the Mary Sue problem to be a a writing. I mean, it is a writing problem, but it it is much more in terms of execution than it is in terms of um, plot, I guess. Or or like John McClane does a whole bunch of incredible stuff in you know like uh, obviously through the whole series it gets mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous, which is actually <laughs> like an interesting evolution of the character toward being a Mary Sue, mm-hmm. right? Because in the first movie, he's he's doing all this stuff, but he's, like, struggling, and these are realistic struggles, and these are earned victories over the terrorists right. of Nakatomi Plaza or whatever. And then in, like, movie four or something, he, like, jumps on, jumps on top of a fighter jet, and there's, like, all this ridiculous stuff, and it doesn't feel... Like, it's lost its grounding, for one thing, but then he's doing these impossible things that are just... I mean, you could have the same story and hit the same beats and just have it be less sort of ridiculous, less less like the world is just made for John McClane to look like a badass in, mm-hmm. I guess. And it, you never get that feeling in Die Hard, right? Or so, I, he, I don't. Right. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is like a, kind of like a reverse flanderization. I don't know if there's a word. I don't know if there's a trope for this, actually. There probably is. But, like, flanderization is when you take a character and everyone really likes this one thing about this character, usually a side character, but not necessarily. And it's like a really like popular aspect of this character. And the writers just keep upping that aspect of the character. Like just keep writing more and more of the character doing that thing until the character becomes like kind of a caricature of themselves. The name after Ned Flanders, like who started out as just kind of like a somewhat pious, you know, by the book guy next door and then became just like more and more like ridiculously over the top trope of like a, a fundamentalist. You can see this like in I w- I'm going to just go ahead and say practically every single sitcom, particularly comedy sitcoms, this this happens. Yeah, uh, at least part of that is because there are multiple writers mm-hmm. and they're all trying to you know capture that same spirit. Right. And it, it's easier to just like you're the you fifth or sixth guy to write Ned Flanders and you have to keep within the vision of Ned Flanders of everyone else. You just take the most obvious aspects right. and try to work with that. That's one of the reasons. It's also like, I don't know. <laughs> it just happened, I guess. It's a little bizarre to see sometimes too, because even in things like, so community is a comedy sitcom that I really enjoy the first few seasons at least. And like the, there's a character who starts out as just like a kind of funny, somewhat mean um, teacher, but like they have episodes where they're, sympathetic and like you see like there are some internal like character conflicts and struggles and stuff and then by like season four or three or something they're trying to like take over the school and are like just batshit crazy and this is like um i think so so this this isn't just about like comedy or or like things like that this also happens in just about every action movie where the main character of action movies, especially when they tend to be, they, fa- they tend to be fairly unrealistic in the first place. Like, you know, most, most of the time one person, no matter how well trained, can't take out a whole building full of uh, terrorists. But it goes from within the boundaries of believability into, like you said, jumping onto a, uh, a what was it, a plane? Yeah, he jumps off onto hovering F-16 or some, or something like that. It's, but, I mean, that's, that's a problem with the Die Hard movies. Well, I don't think it's just a problem with, with the Die Hard movies. I think that's just a matter of when you have a, a, a genre that, you know, needs to keep topping itself and, like, keeps, it, it, like, a big part of the genre is 
big flashy action sets or scenes or something like that, right? Yeah. Like it just it, that's part of it too. Like it's not it's not just that the character is getting more and more badass. It's like they need the character to keep doing things that top what the character already did before. Yeah. It it's hard to lower the stakes. Right. It's hard to go into a sequel that has lower stakes than the original. Right. I want to say Logan did it well for the most part, right? I still have not watched Logan. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, they're basically trying to. It's sort of like an older Wolverine, mm-hmm. like after the events of all these movies, and it's much lower stakes. Right. Than, Which I think is why a lot of people liked it. Yeah. Um. It's just it's hard to do that when people are expecting more. Um. Die Hard is also unique in that each Die Hard movie has been adapted from a script that was not originally a Die Hard movie, mm-hmm. uh, which just plays hell with <laughs> any kind of consistency and characterization when they're like trying to adapt it, these other scripts to become Die Hard movies. Um, but that's kind of the history of the franchise and stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but to go back to yeah. character flaws, John McClane is a... He is not a really flawed character, right? Mm-hmm. Um like he has trouble with his wife and he's not like super supportive of her career. And he doesn't have a huge character arc like going through the movie. And that's fine. He get he gets back with his wife at the end, but that's not really, it's not really earned, I guess. Or it's just like he's, he saved her life or whatever. This is also important to note that like, these are character flaws that have nothing to do with the movie. Like, right. Like they're not, they're not relevant to the plot. They're just kind of like background information. Yeah, but it makes him a more interesting character, mm-hmm. right? When when he, like, you open the, the movie and he's got this big stuffed animal and he's going to come visit his wife and he's like, didn't move out to Los Angeles because he didn't think that she was going to last there and he prioritized his career over hers. And um, these are all, I guess, not strict flaws, but they are, they are, they add to the texture of the character. They're not important in the movie. They play in the plot. A very tiny amount. They're kind of there for motivation more than anything, right? Like they're, they're ways of showing what the character cares about and why they're doing the things that they're doing. Yeah, and I mean it. It kind of like you could you could strip that stuff out mm-hmm. and just make John McClane a less interesting character. Right. So that's part of the reason that we include flaws for our characters. Right. So that's one of the major reasons we give characters flaws, even minor characters or characters that spend most of their time just kind of doing a single thing, or heroes that just have like a very simple role to play in the film or story, because it just rounds them out, it makes them feel more real. So character flaws don't always have to get overcome in a story if they're not a central focus to the story. Yeah, so in addition to characters overcoming their flaws, sometimes we do the other thing where characters are brought low by their flaws, Mm -hmm. right? If you're writing a tragedy where the flaw is hubris or... I don't know. That's usually <laughs> usually it's hubris. If you're going to be brought low by anything, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a whole section I want to talk about in terms of like what are the most common flaws to give characters and hubris. Hubris is by far the most common flaw to give, not just antagonists but also um, protagonists. But we can and, and obviously we can we can talk about why later if you want. But yeah. Yeah. Have we said everything we want to say about Mary Sue's? I think we're going to keep circling back to them at some point, but... Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think there are a lot of characters who are accused of being Mary Sue's that are just... People want to see their characters suffer more, mm-hmm. I guess, or they want to feel like the stakes are higher, for which you... If you need the... If you want the stakes to be higher, you need a better understanding of 
like character powers mm-hmm. for superhero movies as a lot of people are like, oh, I don't I don't understand how powerful Captain Marvel is. Right. <laughs> people will say that a lot. Um, You've seen Endgame, right? I've, I've seen Endgame, but you, even in her own movie, people yeah, yeah, are just yeah. like, there's no stakes because I don't know. I have no understanding of the powers of this character. And so whether she does good or bad, it's just a matter of you know, what the plot demands. Yeah. Right. And that, that's a symptom of of bad writing, because especially in terms of like powers, like the limitations are part of what makes it interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Another thing that people will point it to for someone being Mary Sue is that people just like them for no reason. Or we hear a lot about how intelligent they are and they never do anything intelligent or we hear about how nice they are and they're just kind of an asshole all the time so this to me is this is this goes back to the context thing it's because like you're saying it's like it's about what other people around them are saying about them or what the narrative it's like how the narrative is treating them and it's like it's not even that like okay if a character was demonstrating intelligence and actually being nice to people and stuff like that um they might still be called a mary sue but i think people would just be less angry about their mary soonish yeah Whereas what really upsets people is if the narrative treats someone who is not showing these virtues as if they have these virtues. Yeah, and, and a lot of that is just writing failure. Yeah, you know, right. it's hard. It's hard to show someone being intelligent, especially if you don't really have an understanding of of what that looks like. Right. Or if someone's like good at political maneuvers and you never show them do a political maneuver except when it's super simple and a child could think of it. You know, it's things that shouldn't have logically worked or things like that. So I, I think a lot of times people will just use Mary Sue as a sort of a blanket. The writing didn't work. Yeah. And, and the writing didn't work in a way that benefited this character. Yeah. This can also happen in the side of like what the character is facing in terms of their, their adversaries. So even if your character has flaws, if their antagonists are just so evil or just so unredeeming that they're just like able to morally just stomp all over them. It's a symptom. I would say that's a that's a strong symptom of Mary Sudam too. Yeah. There's this there's a series called The Sword of Truth. The main character is probably one of my favorite examples of a Mary Sue because of uh, various reasons. But one of the, one of the major signals over the course of the series, it's like thirteen, at least thirteen books long. Might be seventeen. I don't remember. The the author is a big fan of of Iron Man. You brought up Fountainhead and, and um, Atlas Shrugged earlier. There's a a thing that starts to happen where. Every antagonist that the protagonist faces was just unredeemably evil in a way that always satisfied the author's political beliefs or like moral beliefs or something like that. Right. And you get to this point where the, the character starts literally justifying the character, the protagonists who are the heroes of the story mind start literally justifying just ran, just torturing for the sake of pain one of the people on the enemy side to be fair the person killed someone like they killed you know they killed like a like one of the one of the protagonist's friends but it was just blankly acknowledged like no this is just for punishment before we kill them we just need to torture them as much as possible and like this is pretty far in the series so i'd already by like I, at this point i was just reading it to see what happened like i i I was making fun of it as I was reading with a friend of mine. But, like, it was it was a point where, like, I, I had to wonder if there was anyone still reading this series who thought, oh, yeah, this is what a, you know, you know, maybe some people agree with that moralistically. But the point was that things like that just kept happening, and it would always be, it would always end up okay. So if they had done that, and some of the other characters had been like, hey, this is wrong, I don't think we should be doing this, and, like, left or something, that wouldn't be, to me, a sign of Mary Sunus. 
Yeah. If later on in the story there's a point where like someone gets kidnapped, and this is another book, um, and someone gets kidnapped, and like the guy is rushing, like in like righteous charge to like save them, and like a henchman shows up and is like, you know, if you want to see her alive again, then the guy just kills them without even letting him finish and just keep, walks by and says something like, I don't negotiate with terrorists as he walks by. And, like, this is meant to be, I guess, heroic or, like, applause or something. But, like, all I was doing thinking this was, okay, I guess you just killed your hostage. You just got the hostage killed, probably, if this was a realistic story. And, again, like, if there were consequences to this, it wouldn't be a Mary Sue thing. But this is why, for me, it's all about the context of the story setting in terms of how the characters react. When the author is clearly writing things in a way that don't take the nuance of what the character is doing into account or don't make it, like multi-perspectives or just makes everything serve the characters morals and and like everything's okay and the actions are all justified and there's no there's no internal conflict there's no consequences for anything that's i think the main problem with with the characters not having a real flaw yeah i think that there are a lot of writing failures that kind of go into this this sense of of um of nuance and and flaws, I guess. Because if, if your writing is lacking nuance, your characters, even if they have flaws, mm-hmm. they're they're not going to come out very well, I guess. Like, I, I guess if you're a complete hack writer, and you just say, okay, this is the character, this is their flaw, and then they're going to demonstrate flaw in, in the first like, you know, chapter or two, and then they'll suffer for that flaw later, and then they'll come to this realization they'll get better or whatever right and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll go undergo this change like you, if, if you do all that stuff you can you can come out of it and not get the criticism that you know your characters were lacking flaws but you, you're still gonna have the bad writing to deal with yeah i guess it's just that when you when you don't earn that character arc or properly demonstrate because you just have people one, one of my least favorite things is when uh there's a character who supposedly has a flaw, but, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's like this guy's so arrogant, you know, but he never demonstrates that arrogance. And then you're just like, why are these people smearing this guy? Like he's just being, he's being gaslit into, into thinking that he had this flaw, I guess. But yeah, there, there are a lot of, uh, ways that writing can fail, I guess, that, that sort of bring out these other problems. Yeah. But should we talk about should we talk about flaws like the most common flaws or or yes um, most common flaws and least common flaws yeah which one do you want to start with because I've got a lot to say about least common flaws because <laughs> yeah I think it's kind of funny actually when you think about it maybe we should start with most common I don't know we'll start with most common uh, hubris yep hubris and arrogance or cause, just because they're very I guess they they lend themselves to sort of easy conflicts. Yeah, right. They're they're conducive to to good conflicts, and they're conducive conducive to conflict resolution. <laughs> like yeah, they're very. It's very easy to get yourself out of a out of a hole by just being like, oh, they were just really arrogant and they made a mistake. And it's like it's kind of, I think it's pretty transparent for me at this point. But like I guess like it still works for you know I've done well. Obviously execution matters, but yeah, um, fear of intimacy mm-hmm. or connection that's another really big one it's like you, you open up on an orphan whose, whose parents have abandoned him and so he has these intimacy issues and uh then he learns you know the real treasure was the friends we made along the yep. way 
right? That's a that's a stock plot and a very common flaw to overcome. What else? Oh, greed. Greed is another big one. This is, this is I mean, particularly for for villains, it's kind of rare to see the so so the good guys you tend to see like the Han Solo types with this, where like they start with like oh they just care about the money, but the heart of gold comes out at some point. Right. Yeah. So, like, going back to the reason why I think arrogance is such a common flaw is probably the most common flaw in in all of fiction, certainly all of genre fiction, I think. I don't know about, like, literature, because it's a very different setting and conflicts and things like that. But not just, like, for the for the antagonist, it's because it, it tends to make sense and helps, like, create conflicts and resolve conflicts. But I was going to say, like, the kind of kind of a part of arrogance is poor people skills, poor social skills. Like, there's a very common thing that's emerging, I think, lately, where really intelligent characters... If, if you have an intelligent, a very intelligent protagonist, they will almost certainly have bad people skills. Yeah. Like, 90% at least of them have bad people skills. And the reason for this, I think, is basically that there's only so much, like, creative space in which to create a character. And there's, like, these, like, you know, you can think of them as, like, domains or something. And the three domains, if we want to think of them, like, in, you know, kind of classic RPG character creation or something would be physical, social, and mental. And if your character is physically weak and physically unskilled, it's very difficult for them to be a hero. I think the only time I've ever seen this done really well was Twig, where, like, this was clearly the character's downfall again and again was just how bad they were physically if you so so you know most fiction you can't you can't have the character be physically weak otherwise like most of the conflicts which are violence related they're just not going to be able to to solve uh and then you'd have to do the hard work of making intelligence and social um intelligence be the things that you write well to solve conflicts which most writers can't do uh so physical always is is good like physicality is like like, 99% of genre fiction protagonists are good physically. Intelligence is a fairly common failing for, for a lot of main characters. Like, they'll usually have a sidekick who's smarter than them. Like, your Hermione, your, your wizard sidekick. Like, there's always someone who can act as, like, the exposition character or the explain things character or something like that. And this allows your main character to be more of an everyman, like, more easily related by the, by the readers and, it just it just allows for the character to to exist in the hero space easier without having to do a lot of the things that aren't really that interesting, like the research and and the you know right yeah yeah I was I was gonna say that's that's part of part of that is is just offloading the uh, the work. Quote, boring unquote <laughs> stuff off to to someone else and yep. then and then they can come in and be like hey I spent all this time looking through the books and mm-hmm. for whatever reason people just don't like it it also offers exposition to mm-hmm. the reader and they can say in english god damn it well yeah yeah but i mean if you're doing first person you can just have them summarize mm-hmm. to the reader like what they found i i don't know it's just kind of i think it's really common in movies because you can't do that movies and tv shows because you can't do that and then i think some of that bleeds through back to to prose mm-hmm. especially in genre stuff a little bit yeah so so the intelligence is that like that's fairly common why intelligent Intelligence will be the, a major flaw of the protagonist. And they, obviously they won't be dumb, you know, heaven forbid, but, but they just, like, they clearly won't be their strong suit. Right. But, but that is, that is a more, that usually doesn't change. Yeah. Right. This is not, this is not usually a flaw that they get over. 
they don't realize the the, the virtue of research and and thinking around their problems. Maybe like they like they adopt some cleverness that the that the antagonist like showed them or something or things like that. It, it, you know, the, I mean, there there is a lot of shonen. I'm sure there's a lot of shonen manga and anime that that shows the really brawny character being clever without necessarily being quote unquote intelligent. Yeah, especially if it's like combat cleverness or something like that. So, so that leaves social, and if the character is both good physically or de- at least decent physically and really smart, which if you have a smart like a, char- a main character that is predominantly an intelligence based character like Sherlock Holmes or uh, Doctor Who or you know like any any character who or a doctor a house I think is another one like their their social skills. Doctor Who's like kind of hit or miss depending on the on the doctor and the episode, but um, their social skills tend to be something leave something to be desired a lot of the time, um, and a lot of the reason for that is because you have to have a flawed character, and if you make them intelligent and you make them competent physically, social is kind of all that's left, and so you make them arrogant, you make them have you know like unable to understand lesser mortals with their normal human brains and like just like get frustrated by people's lack of intelligence around them all the time and just come off as an asshole and there's probably some truth in the stereotype to some degree but i think it's overrepresented in fiction simply because it's when you've chosen to make your character your main character intelligent that's kind of all that's left for conflict in terms of internal flaws they've got to be socially socially crippled or socially flawed in order to essentially make them have something that the to be maybe a little bit to be uncharitable to the reader to have the reader be like ah oh, well you know they may be a super genius but at least i know how to be you know good to my friends or something or like yeah remember to buy gifts for my fiance or something like that or or on the other side it's just more of a matter of simply like this is a conflict that they have because they don't think about th- people the same way other people do or they don't you know most of their days spent in a lab or in a, in a in a library or whatever it is, so they don't they don't have the same experience with social skills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's why I think social skills and arrogance in specific, but social skills in general, are so often being seen as like a very common, explicit flaw because intelligence is is often a flaw in characters, but it's never. It I would say it's almost never explicitly mentioned in the story as like that's the flaw of the protagonist. Well, I think it's it's important to divide. It flaws up into um, those that are just part of the mm-hmm. character and those that are meant to know, be good, meant to be resolved. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the of the most common flaws are just common because they're easy to slap a, a good resolution on. They're not uh, okay. Bloodthirstiness, mm. right? Usually, usually you don't see that in in a protagonist. You don't see that as a flaw because then, <laughs> uh, like, e- even if they like see what they're what their anger and their rage has sort of caused that it's, it's, it's hard to write a like coming to terms with their anger story, right? It's hard to give a, a resolution to that. I'm trying to think, I mean, the, the angriest guy alive is the Hulk, right? Yeah. And, and it's very difficult for them to sort of be like, okay, you know, I, I just have to work on restraining this anger and you sort of get that, and it's like, well, then it's just a lifelong struggle, yeah. right? Similarly, uh, drug addiction and alcoholism, it's hard to convincingly write that. Mm-hmm. I think I think you see that a fair amount as uh, in TV series, especially, because it can be like an ongoing thing, mm-hmm. right? 
but it's just sort of always simmering there in the background. It's not like it's not like an alcoholic gets to the end of the story and he's like, okay, I'm giving up for good. And then people are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, like you're always an alcoholic, right? That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it is a it's common if you need a continued flaw that can continually be a source of, of conflict. Mm-hmm. But it's not one of those that will usually have a resolution or an implied resolution. Um, as opposed to things like, uh, like intimacy issues yeah, or whatever. It's, it's, yeah. I would, I would say interpersonal conflicts are probably the most likely to be resolved because I think that's, it's, I mean, it's a large part of why you would even include them in the first place is to like show growth of the character in relation to other characters. Whereas a character that's like, like you said, like addicted or something like that, like it might, it might be like a background flavor more than anything. I'd, like it's very rare. Again, talking about genre fiction. It's very different if we're talking about non-genre fiction. Yeah. Yeah, in literary fiction, like, the entire conflict can be based on interpersonal conflict plus addiction or something like that. Whereas in genre fiction, if a character is, like, you know, addicted to some drug, like, they're going to do it, like, at the low point in the story, or they're going to do it, like, at some point where it's going to cause inter intersocial conflict. Like, you're very rarely going to see the main character, like, go on a bender and then, like, a thousand people die because they just didn't like get out of bed on time or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when I'm, when I'm ordering flaws, I kind of think about how serious they are and then how easy they are to have a satisfying resolution to. Yep. I think about this in just to change gears very slightly, uh, in romance a lot, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of stock romance plots that are, that exist solely because it, they give a conflict, which is easy to, resolve right a person so like uh oh uh the the shakespearean thing where you um you dress up it's like a girl who dressed up as a guy for whatever reason mm-hmm. and she meets this other guy and they kind of like fall in love and then she's like oh actually i'm a girl all along and he's like how could you and then then he's like oh you're you know this at least resolves. i'm still into you so <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't actually you know change the foundation of our relationship very much um it's just like it's an easy thing to get over or a guy goes out with a girl on a dare or, or for money or something like that. And then they like, he like falls in love and she's like, Oh, you only dated me for that. It's like, then I learned to love you through the course of this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that that's easy. It's easy to resolve. And there's no like lingering leftover thing really. Right. Yeah. Once you're past that, you're past it. And it's, it's not going to sour the, the catharsis. Whereas if you have something like two people are in a relationship and one cheats on the other, that usually does not have a, a cathartic resolution to it. Right. You know, where they like recommit to each other and then everything is assumed fine. Um, so when I think about character flaws, I think about them in sort of the context of, I mean, at least character flaws, which are intended to be sort of resolved as part of an arc you can you can frame a lot of things as flaws. It's just some of them are not going to have cathartic resolutions or are not going to have cathartic downfalls for you know because we want to see you want to see the people brought low by whatever their character flaw was, right? Like you could you could frame pacifism as a character flaw, right? An unwillingness to engage in nonviolence. Yes, there are these two kind of categories of, of uncommon flaws. That I think like pacifism falls into one of them. There are flaws that are just not sexy, and so you just are just never going to see them pretty much ever in fiction. 
And then there are flaws that are just anti-conflict flaws. So, like, an example of the anti-conflict flaws is pacifism. In some, in some situations, you know, you, you get the character who's, like, trying to avoid conflict, trying to, you know, minimize bloodshed, obviously. If they're a hero, they don't want unnecessary suffering or unnecessary death. But the actual hardcore pacifism in genre fiction as a protagonist is extremely rare. Right, and, and it's very likely to be broken. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> if like, and then that's, you know, that's what we. Well, I don't know. It. I mean, you 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 can do that as an arc, right? Yeah, Someone who's right, right, uh, right. a swordsman who's committed to putting down the sword, and then he sort of realizes the necessity of conflict, and then that's his character arc. Was it you, Ro- you, you, tension? Was it probably? Yeah. It's is, a very common. Yeah. This is like an old, you know, old samurai who who used to kill people left and right, killed thousands of people and decided he's never going to kill again. He uses the flat flat side of his, of his blade to, you know, knock people out constantly and not worry about concussions or internal bleeding. And he just, you know, that that is his central ongoing character conflict. It's not treated as a flaw because morally speaking, he's in insofar as one's going to argue for Batman too, but like, you know, he he's he's not doing this and you know, with with like his eyes closed or anything, he's doing it for purpose. So it's like, it's it's less of a flaw and more of a conflict. If pacifism is ever treated as a flaw, it's usually because the writer is going to angle the story to show the protagonist that pacifism is is not always the solution or always capable of being you know done or something like that. Yeah, uh, like Batman is a not a pacifist, right, right. but he, like he doesn't use guns and he doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. Those are like his two rules and mm, well okay (laughs) in in some iterations it's i I mean it's it's, gotten weird the the like no the no guns thing is not usually a conflict generator for batman right most of the time the no killing thing definitely is yes and in it is sometimes treated as a character flaw by certain writers and sometimes it's just an aspect of the character that's kind of part of his composition, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the arc is not about changing it or challenging it or anything like that. But the no, the no guns one is just kind of, is just kind of there, I guess. I wouldn't even call it like a flaw necessarily. It's kind of just like background. Uh, it's like flavor text. It's like uh, John McClane and his wife. Right. It's like, you know, there's like, a, there's like just one scene from Justice League, uh, the cartoon, not, not the movie. Lex Luthor and Batman are fighting aliens. And like, Lex like hands him a gun and he's like, not my style. And Lex is just like, suit yourself. I plan on living through this. Like, it's kind of like moments like that. Where I'm like, yeah, Batman, maybe pick up a gun against the aliens that are attacking, like, right. you know, about trying to murder you. But, you know, it's part of his character. So it's just like, okay, yeah, we get it. So it's a neat little flavor text thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, Batman's not going to die because he didn't use a gun because that would be, I mean, that would be amazing. But um, <laughs> it's just not, you, like, you as the viewer, try- you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you could you could write a Batman who suffers consequences for not using guns. Right. But it's it's sort of like the the least used flaws are going to be the ones that are have difficult resolutions mm-hmm. or are just unsexy on the face of them. Right. You, you know, in terms of for flaws that are intended to be resolved. Yeah. Right. You can have all kinds of flaws that are just sort of background stuff. Yep. yep. Of, of various strains of seriousness, I guess. And, you know, you, a character can have many flaws, and so you can have, oh, man, man Sherlock Holmes ha- has, the, has this disregard for things that he doesn't think will ever help him in a case, yes, right? Yes. Like, he what it was, he, he doesn't know 
the names of the planets. It was worse than that. I, I'm pretty sure in the original, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure in the original, he didn't know that the Earth um, goes around the sun instead of the reverse. Like, like I, th- I think the the original story was like Watson just being shocked that that Sherlock didn't understand uh, heliocentrism, and Sherlock just goes like, "At what point is that ever going to help me in day to day life solving crimes or anything?" Yeah. The, of course, like that one um, thing is the is the situation where he need to know that or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's he sa- he says now that I know it, I'm gonna try to forget it. Right. So I have space for everything else. <laughs> Which is not necessarily how brains work, but I guess it's not not how brains work. Also, a little bit. Yeah. Like in terms of like how much you need to like you know re up information to keep it relevant. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. you can have you can have lots of those smaller ones. Mm-hmm. I care. I, I guess I care more about the big arc stuff or the big sort of like underlying conflict generating stuff that's just a part of the character and it's not expected to be changed. Right. It's not narratively set up to be changed, right? Like, especially in big ensemble casts, you will have people who have flaws that just sort of kind of keep generating conflict mm-hmm. and just continually generate conflict with different people. And it, like, it's just a, it's just a part of their character. It's like a part of their core and and doesn't change at all. And those I think usually will be a little lower grade. Right. In, in, just because you can't really sustain, or it's difficult to sustain a a series or a big story, um, if you if you have those as as being more serious or like yeah, and the the, re- the readers will get fed up with them too at some point. I mean, this is actually recently um, there was like a do you read I forget do you read Mark for Death? I don't. Okay. No. So there's a there's a there's a major psychological flaw in one of the major main characters from Mark for Death that has been going on since the beginning for years now. And it's finally gotten to the point where it's starting to get resolved. And I think a large part of why it's starting to get resolved is that a lot of readers just start to get to the point where, like, come on, guys. Like, everyone just fucking sit in a room and get get on this shit because it's it's getting... My read on it anyway was that it was getting very, like, frustrating and annoying. And, like, it, it in a rational story with characters that are trying to be rational, particularly... Like, this is something that needs to get... You can't just let it keep going. Like, it's got to get resolved one way or another. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it, there are certain flaws that will consistently keep going throughout series. For characters, like, it's just that character's flaw. But they don't tend to be the really serious ones because that... It, it, it can it can be wearing on the reader. It can be repetitive if it's just... If it's just the same kind of conflict over and over again and it's bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, have we covered all the most common... I think we've covered all most the... most common flaws and least common. I, I no, guess we haven't we, touched on. We, we have not. <laughs> so I've got like a little list. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, would you put cowardice as most common or least common? Least common for sure. It's. I mean, you always you you have a character like a side character who's who's a coward, but this kind of ties into another one that I've never seen, which is flakiness. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, I was gonna say for cowardice, Edge of Tomorrow, right? Ah, yes. That actually is a really good point because the entire character arc was showing his his him going from coward to to non coward in a way that had no consequences that you can only do in a in a time loop story. Well, I, you could do that in in other <laughs> stories. It would just not be as it wouldn't be as I guess uh, visceral, and it, it, you can demonstrate it a lot better in a time loop story as you can yes. with a lot of things. But I mean, so I'm trying to imagine like you could have a story where the story starts with the character becoming a coward. Like, they were, like, a military general or something, they just, and they had, like, just too much, and they just, they deserted. And that's where the story starts. You could have a story where 
the main point of it is them trying to get over their cowardice. It would be probably, I mean, I'm trying to think of a story that does this. It's like, like episode arcs, yes, not like a, an entire, like an entire, like, like that's the character's journey. Side characters, yes, but not protagonists. I mean, it, I'm sure there's probably one out there somewhere. I just, it's, it's not common exactly because it's anti-conflict. Like you're basically, like every time you're showing the flaw, basically nothing happened. And that can cause intersocial conflict. And that can cause, like, maybe political conflict and all these different things. So maybe if that's the kind of story it's going to be, it's easier. But it tends to be cowardice more in a in a military aspect, in, a, in like, a physical aspect. And not, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you actually... Yeah, cowardice will most likely show up as, like, not wanting to face social social conflicts or something like that. Like, I don't want to admit, you know... It's also not very sympathetic yes. as far as flaws go. It's unsexy. Like, yeah. it's very unsexy to show someone just running away from a fight, especially because proactivity or even, you know, competent reactivity is uh, one of the things we value a lot in characters. So I, I guess I would agree that that's not, it's not very common. You could probably find a, a couple examples of someone whose primary flaw is that they're a coward and that they sort of evolve and grow to, you mm-hmm. know, stand, stand their ground. They learn courage. And I mean, this is, there's a version of this, it's not quite cowardice, but it could arguably be called that. Is kind of what I've been doing with with Red. My my one of my major attempts in 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 the character in and the story and his arc and everything is to show what this could rationally look like in terms of if there are certain situations where you don't want to do a thing that you know is most likely going to get you killed. You know, like there are definitely people who are going to look at that and be like, but. That's that's being cowardly because the whole you know the whole point of a hero is that they're willing to risk the, their lives or even give their lives to save other people, and if a character is not always willing to do that, especially in certain circumstances where like they like maybe they just don't care about those people, like they don't have a personal bond with them, or you know it's it's enough sufficiently removed from their attention that they don't really think about it as them not putting the effort in, which. It happens all the time in real life. Then, like you know, people don't really think of it as cowardice. But if the choice is right in front of them, uh, and they explicitly decide not to make it, it can be called cowardice. And it, it, I mean, in the comments of, of a recent chapter where this came up, like there was a little argument about like whether or not something would be called cowardice because of that. Uh, and so I think it's it's very rare to to actually be for it to be actually for it to actually be a good conflict generator in stories which is why most people don't do it it's very it's a hard i think it i I think it's a very hard flaw to do well in stories which is part of why i'm trying to do it as best as i can yeah well there's also like and the the flip side of cowardice is someone who who is a daredevil or uh always seeking after adventure or to always taking risks that's very common yep yep a very common flaw because it lends itself to so many conflicts Mm -hmm. And proactivity and and stuff like that. So yeah, another flip side. Speaking of flip sides, because you mentioned um, being emotionally distant and like insecure and like not right. Know, yeah, being clingy is super unsexy. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a protagonist who is like really actually clingy. It's just well, I, you don't see it in in genre, genre stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in genre fiction too much. Right, I was gonna right. say um, there's a movie Five Hundred Days of Summer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, where that's sort of. I I, th- I think you you see it as in more character studies, right? As opposed to yeah, comedies do it too. Where it's like a, like the character's flaw is that they 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 fall they fall for people too quickly and too hard and like you know scare them off or something. Right, but never never someone who is like a hero. Yeah, it's 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 played for laughs sometimes, but it's never it's never like the main heroic protagonist flaw. Um, 
And and again, because it's just it's, I mean, that's that's something that I might do a challenge to you know, tackle at some point too. Because I I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting the reasons why, but that would be a whole other episode to talk about. Uh, another one that you really never see, even inside characters, is flakiness, and this this goes back to the anti-conflict thing again. This is a if a character is flaky, by which I mean like they just sometimes they just don't show up, and like they you know. Or they don't answer their phone, or they just stay at home because they don't really feel like going out that day and saving the world, or whatever it is. Like you just you never see that in any kind of genre fiction because f- first of all, it just it almost doesn't compute with like why these characters would even be heroes in the first place. Like I would love to see a hero who is just like you know I just I'm not really feeling it today. I just kind of want to stay home and, and watch TV. And then like you know people die because they just decide they need that data to to themselves. Uh, yeah. Like, like we don't even necessarily have to call it flakiness. Like, flakiness as a character flaw would mean more just that they're not they're unreliable, not that they're taking the data themselves. Where they, you know, they need some rest and relaxation and that kind of stuff. Like, those are those are good coping skills. Those are good self care. You know, people should be able to do things like that in a realistic story. But actual yeah. actual flakiness in the sense of like, you know, you called your friend and they said they were gonna meet you at the party and they never did, or you know, they. We're gonna give you a ride back home, and they never did stuff like that. Like you don't see that in fiction because it just—it's just the character just doesn't show up. And okay, so I'm gonna counter that. Go for uh, it. I think that you see uh, a lot of protagonists who have bad like work-life balance or who are obsessives, and then like ah uh, uh, yes okay so like that—that's kind of yeah I, yeah, I would yeah. not call that flakiness right. necessarily, but having it's your priorities. Son's birthday. Where are you? Yeah, right. <laughs> having, having having the priorities. Having priority differences rather than just like, yeah, I didn't really feel like going to your birthday party, <laughs> right? right? It, I, I would consider those distinct, but that's sort of the the common version of it, where where it's a matter of, you know, not putting enough time for family mm-hmm. or, or or being so obsessive with whatever it is that they're like actually interested in that they sort of let other other things right slip by. It's like, oh yeah, sorry, I was I was up all night like reading about this magic. Or whatever, <laughs> and right, right, right. And they're like, "Oh, you're, you know, you can't be late again," or whatever. That's that's sort of the that's the version of flakiness that we get. Yeah, it's like kind of the non non lazy flakiness, essentially. Right. Uh, yeah. The the, the priorities. Under- flakiness, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the understanding that they they were doing something that they thought was more important, and that could be a flaw, if, especially if they you know have poor work life balance, so they don't realize the the harm that's causing and stuff like that. But I I would agree that that's um. A distinct thing from from just being flaky, I guess. Yeah. I'm super flaky, by the way. Yes, I am. <laughs> so this is one of, one of my it's one of my one of my character flaws. So I have this thing with like socially where like I every time I you know if I go out with friends and stuff I tend to enjoy myself, but I don't always like beforehand I'm always like uh, I don't know if I really want to do it that kind of thing. And I, if I say I'm gonna go I, I I always go, but I'm definitely one of the person who's like uh, I don't know if I need to respond to this message yet. And then I just kind of don't respond to the message, and then the time passes, and it's like, all right, well, I guess I didn't necessarily need to go to that yeah, thing. I always feel this <laughs> overwhelming relief when people cancel on me. It's like, oh, I, I, like, I wanted to go see that movie with you, but now I don't have to? That's... Right, right. So, yeah. This you, is, I mean, this you, is... you, don't, you don't see that in protagonists. Yeah, this much. is like a super common flaw that we just never see in fiction for, for exactly that reason, because it's, it's very... It's very much not what you would consider a heroic virtue. It's like the opposite of what heroic virtues would be, and that's I mean, I, part of so something that I've, I practice is called narrative mancy, which is this idea of like versions of myself. What versions of myself would do in different contexts? Just like a, 
you know, I don't want to do this paperwork for work because it's really annoying and, like, I'm bored and I'd rather just play video games before bed or something like that. And then it's like, okay, but, like, if instead of just being just, you know, insurance paperwork for my clients or something like that, like, if instead of being that, it was the logistics for supplies for, like, the international United Earth Army against alien invasion or something like that, and there's, like, a major battle coming up tomorrow... Like, I wouldn't be like, oh my god, I just want to play video games. I mean, maybe I would, I've never been in that circumstance. But I'd like to think that I would not. And somehow thinking that sometimes gets me to get more motivation in circumstances like that. Uh, when it's just like, I know the paperwork is important even though it doesn't feel important. And so I just kind of connect the behavior that I would have, I would have in a situation that I think would be more obviously important. And just like draw upon that alternate me or something. And like that, like, asp- aspiring to be that kind of person all the time, I think, is what a lot of people try to do or think would like to do. And that's, I think, why our heroes are always like that. Like, they're always proactive go-getters and all that stuff. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a discussion uh, between characters in one of the more recent chapters, Fourth Candle, mm-hmm. about, yeah, like, you, you know, like, I like to think that if I saw these huge wrongs in the world, mm-hmm. I would do stuff about it. But probably, yeah, I would just sit and let someone else deal with it and I'd play video games. Yeah. That's probably what I do. Because that's what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. That's there there are huge problems in the world and I charitably I take care of my mental health mm-hmm. because that's important. Uncharitably I just don't I don't feel like it, you know. Yeah. This is this is done really well also in um the Eurogamer where like this girl has world bending immense arguably black hole world you know world defined around her kind of magic powers that the the main character i mean the, the author has done an amazing job in my view not making her a mary sue uh even though she should she should absolutely by all rights be a mary sue he's done a really good job making her not a mary sue in large part because like she recognizes that she should be doing more with these things and she struggles to do more like there are characters in her life that remind her that there's like things that she needs to do but outside of like this one major kind of pet cause that she has she's it's hard for her not to just like enjoy the powers rather than worry about like world peace and hunger and and, like all that kind of stuff yeah i I could go on for a while for lesser lesser mentioned flaws but we're already like an hour and 12 minutes in so just let me know if we is there anything else you want to talk about uh no no i don't think so i think that one of the things that you should look at if you're looking at flaws is sort of like there, there tend to be sexy versions mm-hmm. of unsexy flaws, and there tend to be unsexy versions of sexy flaws. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, because there are times when you want to look for things that you don't see that much because they're unsexy, I guess, mm-hmm. and just include them as part of your character, or as like you know, have your fiction have a little more grounding to it, like yeah. which you can add by having a character who is kind of flaky and and it just you know. Or overeats. I mean, there was a, there was a, I recently saw, uh, Deadpool 2, and there was like a throwaway line that was kind of like played for laughs where like one of the characters was like, the character's like overweight, and, and it's like, when's the last time you saw a plus size, uh, superhero outfit or something like that? And it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, unless it's like, for, for whatever weird reason, their superpower, like you, you don't really see overweight superheroes, kind of for the same like physical, physical things. Like you can, if you, if you want to just kind of like add a version of that, to the story, if you don't want them explicitly to be that they're overweight, I, th- I think there are ways to make sexy versions of, of like you said, unsexy. Yeah. Flaws, yeah. Oh, here's here's a. I mean, I, 
I think this will be the last uh, unsexy flaw that mm-hmm. I have, or, or the least used flaw for, for protagonists anyway, is being a liar. Yep, yep. You see it every once in a while as sort of... There's there's like a whole archetype for it of, you know, someone who comes in and he like pretends to be a hero and tells all the stories and then it's actually all lies and then mm. in the end he has to actually be a hero, Three right, to, to redeem himself. Yeah. yeah. But that's it's pretty uncommon and it's it's very uncommon as sort of a as one of those background flaws. Yeah. As one of those background traits to just have someone who I kind of want to do it <laughs> yeah, I know. To, to just have someone who who lies every once in a while because you know it makes him feel good to have things just be a little exaggerated, mm-hmm. I guess, rather than rather than I guess strict outright deception. It's like lying and then lying to himself, and yeah, but you don't see that magnets very often at all, unless it's in, in that specific storyteller archetype. And it's very hard to do and not play it for laughs. Like it's very hard to do that and not like have them be like you know. Like who's telling the story? Me or you, kind of thing. You know, like it's it's to to do it as an actual flaw. What you basically need to do is have the character, for whatever reason, like you said, like they, like they they, they kind of either they need to lie, like some part of them like psychologically needs to lie, or they feel like they don't even understand why they lie. It's just it just makes them feel better. Yeah. And they like don't get caught yeah. enough, and so they're just like, okay, I'm gonna lie. Uh, stealing, mm-hmm. I think maybe. Is another unless again unless the protagonist is a thief, right? And, and then it's like well, and then it's steal from the rich and give to yeah. the poor. You can skip the give to the poor part, <laughs> but so so long as they're you know acceptable targets. Right. I think generally crime, so long as it's against acceptable targets. I've been watching this show. It's okay. Um, it's called Imposters. It's like a I don't know. It's on TNT or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on Netflix, so it's free. So I'm watching it. <laughs> but it's a bunch of people who are. They're not like born criminals. They've just sort of taken up criminality to sort of like grift people, and they're like, "Okay, our our rules. It's only gonna be assholes. It's only gonna be people right, who right, deserve right. it, and because they want to like feel good yeah. good about it. But they kind of like they like the grift and stuff. Um, but it's it's pretty. I mean, if if you're gonna have that as a flaw, you usually aren't gonna frame it as a flaw, mm-hmm. right? It's like no one's gonna come to Robin Hood and be like, "Hey." You know, you're just breaking down law and order here. You know, you're you're on Robin Hood's side when he's stealing. And part of the reason for that, usually, so so usually, I mean, stealing isn't in, for, for whatever reason, stealing is an intrinsically sexy flaw because like it's like dashing, I guess. It's like it's it's like there's a part of the 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 crime doing itself that is seen as like it's a cool thing to be able to pull off. Like if you can steal well. And you can steal skillfully. Like, it's just, it's, it's cool in the same way that, like, you know, doing parkour is cool. Or, or, like, just being able to, like, unlock something with, like, a hairpin is cool. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Does that make, am I making sense? Well, um, okay. So I think there is a, usually there's a, a competency associated with uh-huh. it, and competence is sexy, mm-hmm. or is at least compelling. Uh, I think if you, if you do, like, the lame version of stealing, like, you, Someone goes over to like a friend's house or they go to a store and they shoplift. Like shoplifting, there's a tiny amount of competency, but if you're just in like someone's right, house right. or it's if you had a character steal a pen from the bank, no one would see that as being <laughs> like, oh man, yeah, that's like 
Hardcore. Real Robin Hood right there. Yeah. Well, it's not even that it's because because there's something that's petty about it, sure, but it's also sort of like rule breaking. I, I guess it's 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 seen as more pathetic. Yeah, rather, I mean, I mean, as opposed to like the harm that it caused, because there, right. there, I guess there are a couple of different ways you could go with it, where you could, you know, this is causing real harm to someone. That would be, you know, a bad kind of stealing if you're stealing food from starving children or whatever, right. uh, or you know, more realistically, you're stealing from a, like a mom and pop shop mm-hmm. who just they don't have as good a security, and then you know that, that you're sort of ruining this business that they've worked for and stuff like that. You you could do it like that, but it's a, it's another one of those ones that has a difficult resolution to it, um, which is always you know it's always interesting to see if you're gonna if you're gonna do things different. I think you get a lot of leeway in terms of how you execute. I guess mm-hmm. like if you're gonna do something fresh and new, people won't care as much. Whereas if you're gonna do a stock plot, you got to do it real well for people to think it was at all worthwhile. Yeah, what else do we what else do we have left? I I think there are a lot more flaws that are um minor to some extent or just, you know, hard to it's hard to sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like they they do add to a texture of character, but there's some flaws that are pretty much exclusively villain flaws just cuz they're so unsympathetic or or you just can't resolve them in a way that people have a have a catharsis for like the the resolution is you know redemption is death right mm-hmm. that's why it's so common is because then you you can be redeemed and then you don't have to live with that other stuff you know you right. don't have to live with the actual reality of being a person in the world yeah it's like really hard like just use like a very extreme example it's very hard to redeem a rapist right uh it's somewhat easier to redeem a serial murderer somehow like you know if you've killed Let's just say for money. Like, if you've killed for money, it's not that hard to, to redeem you. It just really just depends. Like, you just gotta kill a bunch of really bad people, and then maybe die. Uh, or give up life at the end. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully it's, everything's okay. Well, yeah, and I, it, so long as you've only been killing, you know, bad people, yeah, people, let's, just, root, people <laughs> just root for you, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, you know, if you've only been killing bad people, then, then you're not even really necessarily, it's not even really necessarily even considered a flaw by a lot of people. Like this is, this well, yeah, like dead, like uh, Dexter. No, yeah, yeah, Dexter uh, and and not Deadpool. I keep wanting to say Deadpool. It's not Punisher. Punisher. Uh, right. Yeah, it's like murder is just what heroes do. Um, it just depends on who they murder sometimes. Yeah, I, th- I think for Punisher, it is the source of a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Dexter. For him, it's like he doesn't care that he's only killing bad people right. so much. It's just this code that he has. Or that was instilled in him as sort of a way of of keeping out trouble or uh, doing it the most moral way possible. And mm-hmm. it's there's always this conflict where he's that's not it doesn't come natural to him, I guess. This way of adapting to this the way that he feels about people and sort of the right. like mask that he puts on. Whereas Punisher, it, more of his conflict is with other characters who, who just disagree with his kill all the bad people. Right. Right. Cause they see it as it, it, it's less common for the Punisher to kill people who didn't deserve it on accident, which is <laughs> right. the most likely outcome for uh, a Punisher type character is that he just is makes a mistake and that he can't makes a mistake and or, you know, he goes in without 
you know, perfect understanding of the situation. Right, and right, right. There's collateral damage because there's a kid in the place where he was firing all his guns. And you don't see that so much because that's, you know, you can't. It's it's a lot harder to come back from that, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is definitely a topic that I think we could we could talk a lot about. We might we might we probably do another episode on it at some point because there's like some there's there's I think there's like other aspects of it that we're not touching on just because they would start like whole other conversations. Like one example of this would be um, when you get to the field of like how you go through a character conflict that different like different characters might disagree as a conflict, just like different more just like different senses of like what is moral to do in a situation like like the Batman situation kind of the, the different ways to, to to treat the philosophy so that you're you, you're giving it its full its full weight I guess um, like that can be really hard to do yeah well and some some flaws aren't really I don't know does does it make sense to say that some flaws aren't really flaws some flaws are just consequences of yeah so like a, like an ide- ideology or or you know inherent trade offs mm-hmm. right um. So, like the trolley problem, right? Yeah. You wouldn't say a person's moral stance on that is necessarily like a flaw, right? Some people would say it, that, yeah. I mean, you 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 could say that, yeah, based on your own moral framework, but but I, I agree with you, yeah. It's 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 more just like a there's there's a great chapter in um, World War Z that uh, this is just gonna start a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, we can say that for flaws part two. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about it another time. Yeah, so uh, that's it for this for now. Uh, we'll probably talk about it again. Feel free to leave comments like talking about other flaws you want to hear us discuss. And um, thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Okay. <laughs>